I became fascinated with looking at things where they fall in a, for lack of a better word, on a timeline. You might find out something about that story that could not be anything but God. Now you're reading that and you're thinking, why do I care about idiots? Yeah, and listening to it going, I don't want to listen to this podcast. <laughs> exactly. I'm a snake. I'm a slitherous snake. I'm a snake of snake. <laughs> you have the potential to do great evil or to do great good. Because what you see when you begin to look at history is that we're all connected. This is History Through the Eyes of Faith with Angie Ferris, and I'm your host, Frank Raines Jr., along with producer Wes. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's episode 15. This is Frank, along with Angie, of course. It wouldn't be a podcast without Angie. It wouldn't be History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast without Angie Ferris. And producer Wes is along for the ride. Um, I'm excited to get into episode 15. Um, I don't know what we're going to talk about today. Well, what? How excited you, are you? I'm getting there. Yeah, let's hear. I'm getting, get, I'm getting, getting worked there. up it's on too late. It. It's too late to be getting there. We have to be there now. Oh, <laughs> again. I am very, that, okay. So tell me, tell me what, what you're doing there. Tell me about that. You didn't have to so, be. This, this. Yeah. Yeah, this. So last time, right? Yeah. So last time I had been somewhere in the morning, last time we had a recording session, which was 11, 12, 13, um, before this recording session, which we right. just finished 14, we're starting on 15. Right. I've been somewhere in the morning, somebody had gifted me with something mm-hmm. in a foil wrapper, I had just like thrown it in my purse, and so when it came in the studio, I just sat it down on the table. Right. Didn't say anything about it. Didn't even think about it. I just Mm-mm. put it there. But yeah. then you noticed it and you turned it into a thing. And you said that we were going to have a thing. And you said, oh, we can yeah. make that a deal. We're going to have a mystery, whatever. So this weekend, I've been really busy preparing for these. And there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in our lives. I, I'm i like, oh, my gosh, I hadn't even thought about that. And then I went, oh, I've got that in my purse. And what she's saying is at the end of episode 14, she referenced, she points out a brown paper bag. Where would you get the bag? I'm not going to tell you that. A brown paper bag, but it can't, didn't come from my house. No. Or from the... It was in my purse like this. Like, I just remembered. <clears throat> I just remembered, oh, that's in my purse. I'll just set it out. So I didn't even notice it. It, is set, it has been sitting out, and... Um, which, by the way, I need to get one of those for the studio. One, one of what? Those, those tables. Yeah. Um, um, anyway... It's been sitting out. It's here, and we don't know what it is. So, what are we doing? Are we going to get guesses now, or do we? Are we think about? I think we should like like you don't have to guess what it is, but maybe you can ask some. What is it like that? Twenty questions, like mm-hmm. ask a couple. Hey, yes or no questions. You give me some yes or no questions, right. and we'll just kind of. I mean, let's don't reveal it yet, unless you just happen to straight up guess okay. it. All right. Is it a cinnamon roll? No. Okay. <laughs> is it something you eat? No. Okay. Which I'm glad that I've not been carrying around something you eat in your purse and totally well, forgot that it was there. Is it, uh, was it a gift to you? No. Was it something you purchased? Yes. Okay, that's four questions. You're doing good. Well, what do you mean I'm doing good? Of course, I'm just asking questions. <laughs> 
how many questions we're going to go. I think there's only, I think by the rules of that game, there's only 20 questions. I know, but we're not going to do all 20 right now, are we? Well, I don't know. We might. Okay. I mean, at least a couple more. So it was not a gift. You did buy it. It's not something you eat. It was in your purse. Uh, was it in your purse longer than a week? No. Okay. <laughs> Has it been? Had your- I not been coming here, I don't know how long it would have been in my purse. <laughs> but it hasn't been no, in there longer. She's given me more information and answered no questions. <laughs> um, was it something that you intended to bring to the studio today? Is it is it something that you're going to get rid of? No. No. It's something you're going to keep. Yes. Um. Is it um, is it something that that helps you be productive in your day? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Is it something that I would want to have? Maybe. Is it something that Wes would want to have? Probably not. Okay. I don't know, Wes. When you find out what it is, don't, <laughs> don't um, be upset with me. Um. He might. Really, now that I think about it, he might. Hmm. Well, I, I, I don't mean I could keep asking questions. Okay, we're know. at like seven or eight. We'll put a pause on it. Okay. We're probably more than seven or eight, but yeah. Okay. All right, well, so we'll just go back to that later. Yeah, it's there. Are you going to drop clues throughout the episode? Who knows? Okay, well. Oh. That's not any We fun. may be talking about something that's sort of related. So, yeah, if we get near all... I'll say that. Okay. Okay, so we are actually kind of near, considering all the things we could be talking about. We're kind of near. We're we're right at it. (laughs) No, we're not right at it. We're just possibly. Okay, so as we said, we're moving to what's going on in the world at the time of the Persian Empire um, that is not inside the time of the Bible. So there's this um, place that has greatly affected Western civilization, and it is called... Now, wait, is this... Because in the last episode, you talked about how some things that happened back then that were still applying to our lives today. Yeah. Is that where we're going right now with yeah. this place? Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about this. Okay, so this is... So I don't have the dates of the Persian Empire, like, straight up in front of me. But, no, we're talking about the 500s, okay? So we're... And it's BC? Ca- yes. Um, yes, this place, this area of the world was in its heyday between five, no, existed between 510 and 323 BC. Okay. About that. And, um. And this is post scripture. Yeah. Outside of scripture. Not, well, not quite. Post. Yeah, it is post. It is post because what the temple was rebuilt. I'm going back. Temples rebuilt between 538. It finishes up at 515 and this yeah, class the classical period of this place was five ten to three twenty three. So existed before, existed after, exists today. But the classical period was five ten to three twenty three, which is the time of its greatest influence. Okay, hmm. and this is what we call the Greek city state. Have you ever heard of that Greek city state? Is that a cafe down like the arcade in Nashville? I don't know. Is it? 
No. Uh-uh. Greek city Have you, state. Okay. Do you know where Greece is? Have you yes. any idea? Okay. So I think Greece is like around in heat. Mm-hmm. That right there. Okay. Well, Wes the, can see better. No, 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 no. Greece. Here? That's Italy. Here. That's Greece. That's Greece. Right now, what I'm pointing at. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. So the Greeks. Wait a minute. Okay. Producer West, let me see that. Yeah. Let me see. He can th- read it. I know. Throw that. Okay. And then All right. I've got the pointer. <clears throat> Don't know how to use it. It's pointing at you. There you go. Okay. What is this right here? Sicily. That's Sicily. Sicily. Mm-hmm. And then that's Greece. Okay. So that is the location of Greece today. <clears throat> what mm-hmm. we're talking about is what's called the Greek city-state, which was the kind of... Um, it's the political, social, cultural unit of Greece at that time. Greece was not a unified nation, okay? It was a location there. But um, the city-state included a city. So there's more of these. There's a, they're called the Greek city-states. The word, the, I guess, Latin word is, or Greek, no, the Greek word, that's silly. The Greek word is polis, okay? But we're going to just say city-state. Okay. So there were... Many of these. They're places. Yeah. Many of these city-states that were spread out, and we're going to see a map around the Mediterranean region, um, originating from Greece, and they were considered a, there would be an urban core and then a regional district around them. So it would be like the city and then agricultural land around them. Right. But all of that was considered the city-state. Okay, mm-hmm. and um, and those two elements have a relationship that go together. And some of the features of this place was a open marketplace where people encountered one another. Every city state would have that. There would be temples where they worship their gods. There would be a building or a public area where the public life of the city was played out in more formal ways. Um, there'd be entertainment facilities such as theaters and stadiums. And they often have natural fortifications like a high point. Like if you've heard of the Acropolis is up on the top of a hill. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's usually some provision for descending the cities. Okay. Some provision for. Or defending the city. Okay. okay. Where you go? This sounds very much like a city. Exactly. Like why would we even use the word city? Where do we get the word city from? This. This. This that we're talking that's the, about. That's where we get it from. Yeah. From the Greek city-state, the word polis. That's why we call cities cities. Hmm. Polis. Yeah. By, by, by the way. Yeah, I'm all into it. If, if you ever see the video of this. <laughs> Which there's not one. The, hand, the eyes, the hands gestures. The city. <laughs> polis. Well, I, you've been so excited about something that relates to us today. Well, there's yeah. one thing right there. It. It was it was where we got the creation of the cities. Yeah, around those years. Well, Three- the the name of them, where we call them that, and the idea of all those things that you say. Well, this sounds like a city. Well, yeah, because that's where the idea. What was it before then? Like you think about well, Egypt. You think about all. I mean, did they just? Okay, I think. Let me go further into it because it's the way it's the <clears throat> politics of the place. That word itself, politics, means, think about the word polis. Yeah. Politics means what we do in a city. That's what the word means. Mm-hmm. There's a word we use every day that comes from this classical Greece. Yeah. The word polis, meaning city-state. So 
Okay, here's something that's different. It's going to, thank you for the question. It's going to take me a minute. Like when we're talking about the Persian Empire, there's a king and he's ruling this whole area. There's not all these individual areas that are ruling themselves. That's what these city states were. So Greece was not like run by some head dude. There was each city state mm-hmm. and they were to some level democratic. Right which is a big deal right now. Like we've not talked about anything that had anything to do with anybody having a vote. Right. Okay. Like, and there's a lot of history between then and now where nobody has a vote. Okay. Um, well, how do you know that they were run democratically? Well, we're going to talk about that. There's there's writings and there's history, okay? okay? okay. But over the Greek world, there was a large number of these city-states, over 200 of them. So during the classical period, which was that 510 to 323, there was over 200 Greek city-states. I'll turn this around where you can see. That is the Mediterranean Basin. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so if we look up here at our map, it's all the way. Would you agree, Frank, it's not all the way around the Mediterranean? And not only that, up into the Black Sea. You're saying it is all the way around the Mediterranean. At the time, see how they go all the way around Italy, mm-hmm. up around Spain, the northern coast of Africa. Yeah. All right, all the way up around through, even up into the Black Sea. Yeah, this is the Greek city-state. The Greek city-states. States. Because they're each their own. Okay. Right, 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 right. They're not they're not joined together. In four seventy nine BC there was this decisive battle that the Greek city states worked together to defeat a Persian invasion. And that battle effectively ended the war between Persia and Greek. It, like it kept Persia from ingra- invading Greece anymore and it assured Greece independence and freedom, which made possible the great Greek cultural golden age of the fifth century okay so the fifth century would be the 400s okay the fifth century of bc this is all bc Mm -hmm. the greek cultural golden age all right so what made it it's a very public society where you can discuss and debate and argue about almost anything now what philosophers were known for this area that's where we're going give me but philosophy didn't exist before this philosophy comes from greece okay Okay. Philosophy, this is a society of spectacular precision, craftsmanship, fun, and seriousness. And we're going to talk about the different levels of the different things that fall into those categories. Philosophy, the definition of philosophy is the love of wisdom. Greeks invented philosophy as a formal intellectual discipline with its own rules and systems. It began to emerge in 600 B.C., around 600 B.C., and has mm-hmm. persisted until now. Sure, yeah. Right. So we talk about philosophy all the time. That didn't exist before the Greeks invented it. Woohoo! Oh, I'm yeah. getting excited. Yeah. Philosophy is basically the elaboration of three questions. What is the world made of? How can we know? And what should we do? How should we behave? So the how can we know is called epistemology, and the how, what should we do? How should we behave? Is ethics and morals. Okay. So, the formal asking of these questions and the formal answering arises in Greece. And that might not sound like a big deal. No, but I think it is. It is because there's there's, it it's a way of thinking about who we are, 
what's going on around us, what is it made out of, how do we know what it's made out of, and what difference does that make? I wonder, humans that were doing that before 500 B.C. or 450 B.C., are they... They were doing it. They just didn't call it. They didn't make it. They didn't structure it into anything. I don't that, know. That would be my theory. how much they were. That'd be my philosophy. Well, okay, you can say that. I, th- I think one of the things that creates the ability to sit around and ask those questions is you're like you're not having to worry about am I fixing to be killed or where am I going to get food. I see. But if you're living in a world where you've always got to be aware of when is the next meal coming, what are we going to kill today, how are we going to eat, how am I going to make sure that I don't die today? Mm-hmm. Then, Pretty much every day for me. Then you're not going to be sitting around going, what what am I made of, and what difference does it make, and how how should I behave? So they've so that would be why in today's <laughs> world we have a lot of people that are depressed because. They have a lot of time to think about those things. <laughs> might be. Very well might be. Because so so I think a secure society where you're you're not under threat of attack and you know that your needs are provided for, which happens in a city, that's what <coughs> we'll see. All the elements of the city are working together, mm-hmm. then they can sit around and think. So they develop this formal process of how you ask those questions and how you answer those questions. Okay. The Greeks drew a distinction between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts and details. Mm -hmm. Wisdom is the way of thinking that stands behind and informs the facts and the details. So what we really want in the end is wisdom. We want a wise way of thinking. Right. Okay? Well, I'm going a lot of different places here, but... And again, shame. A couple of comments. As Frank, the try to be comical host of this podcast, and and engaging to a degree, and I'm sure I could be better. Um, I don't remember a lot of history from my education. Exactly. Yeah. So very few people do. When you think about, I think of Greek mythology, mm-hmm. and I think about you know the Greek philosophers that we're about to get to. Are you going to talk about the mythology and the Greek gods and things like that? Is that happening during this, this same time or before? Both. Okay. Um, It's older than this. I'm not going to like, we could dive deep into the history of every culture we come across in this study. That's all that's on podcast, right? Right. And so I'm no, I'm not going into Greek mythology because I don't think it, shapes who we are. Yeah, so talking about Greek mythology, there's a lot. Uh, it, it existed um, before this time, through this time, after this time. It was their way of explaining, making, writing stories about what was going on around them. Okay, mm-hmm. so you can do a whole deep dive. We're not doing that. Uh for that reason, I don't. I don't think it shapes. Now it'll come up as we move forward. Like we'll have a reference to Apollo, or we'll have a reference to this because it was a part of their culture and life. Uh, we'll talk about there was a temple to Athena, and yeah. So mm-hmm. you can go study more on all of that. But what's unique that gets carried forward is their politics. 
their okay. their uh, way that they organized their society and dealt with each other. Okay, I think a lot of the reason we know the Greek mythology is because it's entertaining. Right. It's it's cool stories. It's mm-hmm. it's fun to teach kids. It's it's mm-hmm. cool adventures. You know. So so yeah, there is that. Yeah. So, but we were talking about how the the city is what you're bringing to life. Yeah, so it's their their politics, their policies, their government, the way they arranged their society and managed their society mm-hmm. that has been studied over the centuries and has influenced much, as we will see, okay? Um, so you asked about what philosophers around before then. Mm-hmm. I have notes on all that, but I didn't bring that into here because they're not... My major's in philosophy and religion. Mm-hmm. So you can go back and you can study the earliest philosophers and what's happening is like, okay, this guy brings this to the scene. This was his unique thought. And then this guy brings this unique thought. And, and there's a bunch of them, mm-hmm. okay? Like Pythagoras, which do you recognize that name at all? Does that ring a bell with you? You haven't been in... Well, I, there's a theory, the Pythagorean theory. Theorem. Theorem. And do you know what that is? Do you remember what that is, Wes? Oh, man, he just popped it out. A squared, B squared, equals C squared. It's how do you figure the, uh, is it the hypotenuse? That's what it's called, of the triangle. Anyway. How does he know that? Because he's a lot closer to it than we are. It hasn't been that long. Yeah. Yeah, and it's something that you... So Pythagoras was a philosopher before this, okay? Not many years before, but he was a Greek philosopher. So I chose to jump in at the point where I think it starts really affecting us now or gets carried forward in history. So there's lots of things like Pythagoras that you can go back there and pull out and go, oh, that was then, that was then. I mean, you're going to find there's so many things in our world of mathematics, science, astronomy. I mean, philosophy was the first science. All sciences and studies came from philosophy. Math comes from philosophy, sociology, everything, psychology, everything Mm -hmm. comes from. So you you can go back and find lots of those, but I'm picking the ones that are just the ones I see as really uh, still playing a big role. So at the time in Athens, in the 5th century BC, Athens was one of these city-states. We've heard of Athens, right? Another really big one that was kind of, these two guys were back and forth all the times, was Athens and Sparta. Okay, but the philosophers that we remember come from Athens. So in Athens, there arose a group of thinkers called the Sophists. Okay, and they turned to practical matters in their philosophy. They started out studying language and people and worked out the rules of rhetoric. So you could hire a Sophist for a fee to teach you to speak eloquently, elegantly, and persuasively which was very important in this culture. They have these marketplaces and they have these theaters. Mm. And so people would come together and they would lecture and they would persuade. And as we'll see as we get into the politics, everybody had some level of vote. So being Mm. able to speak persuasively was a good skill to have. You could hire these sophists to do it, okay? Or were they sophi? Oh, good question. Was that the plural? I don't know. I I want to pause just for a second and say this. I think it's important that our listeners stay hydrated. Okay, very important. Stay hydrated, even if even even if you know, for your own health, stay hydrated. So I'm going to propose that every time they hear Frank go, mm, mm-hmm, mm, take a drink, take a drink. It's for your health. <laughs> Thank you, Frank. I just want to add that. That's all. Okay, go That's ahead. That's great. That is often some some people also call these folks 
I've heard him say sophist. Okay, so I'm sophist. Anyway. In their ethics, they drew a distinction between law and nature. In the natural world, the race is to the swift and the battle is to the strong. So the natural world is not about ethics. Right. So this is survival of the fittest. They said that's what happens. Right. Okay. Society's rules are mere conventions and subject to change. Nothing is finally right, wrong, or absolute. This quest for truth and ultimate reality is foolish. Man is the measure of all things. The aim is not to be right, but to prevail. Everything is relative to me. That doesn't sound very healthy. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Well, it sounds like our nature. Yes. So, that doesn't sound like a society that will survive long either if everybody's out for themselves. Not according to the Persians. (laughs) Right. Or anybody in history. Everybody Mm -hmm. out for themselves, that's not going to work. So, our first philosopher who actually appears on a card with some other guys, but his name's on a card. It's considered, I don't know why we were taught he's like the father of philosophy, because there were philosophers before him. But this is Socrates. Mm-hmm. Socrates. Socrates, yes, Socrates. 470 to 399 B.C. So he wants, in response to these sophists, he wants to vindicate reality and our capacity to know and to communicate what we know. He wants to show that there is a reality and we have a capacity to know and we can communicate what we know. Um, The durable contribution that the sophists made was to have forced us to ask these nasty questions about the eternal and the momentary, the true and the seeming justice and prevailing. We've been forced ever since to to ask questions in that way. So they came Mm -hmm. up with this. We've got to respond to it. Um, So important things about Socrates... We have the capacity to know. There are things to know. We have the capacity to know them, and we have the capacity to communicate that knowledge. He was wise. Socrates felt that he was wise only because he would admit that he didn't know very much. That's great. Wisdom comes from admitting that you don't know very much, that you are limited. Okay, and Socrates did that. And he had this way of questioning, which we now refer to as the Socratic method. Okay, demonstrating that he and through his questioning, he demonstrated that people didn't know very much because he would. Why? Why? When? What does that mean? Why do you Mm -hmm. think that? And there's a question whether he really put out a doctrine or he just poked holes in what everybody else said. So I think last episode I said we were you were saying uh, things that are relevant to us right now. And I was like, yes. And I said, we've actually talked about it in this episode. Remember how at the beginning of the last episode you were saying it annoyed you the way I was always asking questions? <laughs> no. Did I say it annoyed me? I was saying that <laughs> I don't feel qualified to answer them. Uh, see, that's a really good like, insight because I felt like you thought it was annoying. But Well, I feel like I'm in the hot seat. It's kind of like when you're in class and like I hope they don't pick me, and they do. Because <laughs> there's nobody else to pick. <laughs> yeah, well, you're picking me. And I don't know the answer. So what but. I've realized over time is that I teach using the Socratic method. That's what I do. I, I want people to ask questions. And a lot of times he, he, he would uh, appear that he didn't know the answer in yeah. order to get other people to think about it. Yeah, and I've seen that a lot. People, I, people do that. Yeah. And, and I like that method. Yeah, a lot of times in a group... I don't want to go, yeah, but what about, instead I will say, I will ask it like, I will ask the leader, like, well, what about this? 
even though I might know what about that, mm-hmm. it's a way to point it out. Or if I'm teaching, I, I know that you learn more if you think about it. If I just sit there and talk, you might or might not respond. But if you have to be engaged, then you have to think about it. And that's the way I feel with people in a room. So, yeah, we'll get onto our Patreon and we'll get some more people in the studio and maybe you won't be in the hot seat all the time, right? Um, maybe not. But I do ask questions. And that's great. Like, I think, yes. Yeah, I count on that. Is it something that you're going to use later today? If it's in that bag? Mm, probably not. Okay. Yeah. Um, the Socratic approach to questioning is based on the practice of disciplined, thoughtful dialogue. In this technique, the teacher professes ignorance of the topic in order to engage in dialogue with the students. So that's the way it's now. Socrates ended up being condemned to death for corrupting the youth. Did you know that? Condemned to death? Yes. Meaning he was he was killed? Yeah. Well, he he was executed. Executed, yeah. But the method of execution was drinking hemlock, which is a poison. So Essentially, he killed himself, but hmm. it was executed. So, by this time in um, in Greece, it was pretty much the the, and I can't remember if this is in my notes further on. I don't think it is. It was pretty much they were uh, on some level a democracy. Everybody had a vote. Now that doesn't. It was not our government. Okay. It was not the government of the United States. It wasn't set up the same way. But there was a level of everybody had a vote, hmm. okay? Um, but those votes maybe were weighted a little differently or... Anyway, I don't think it's worth getting into all the details of it. But the point was that everybody participated in the system. So when Socrates, when accusation was brought against Socrates and he was brought to trial, there were 500 jurors. 500, okay? And that was enough so that, therefore, you couldn't, that, that way you could keep people from buying off the jury, which I thought was interesting. Um, and there were also observers there. And at the time Socrates is brought to trial, he's 70 years old. He's sentenced to death for what his for his teaching, um, but the decision to try and ultimately convict Socrates is very connected to the turbulent history of Athens in the years preceding and leading up to his trial. So I want to talk about this because I've heard of you know I've learned about Socrates at different times in my life. I knew that he was tried and condemned and poisoned himself essentially as a result of all that but I didn't understand what the trial I thought it was just about because he was asking questions and stirring up uh you know like asking people to question what was being taught and people didn't like that okay but it's a little bit deeper than that there's a little bit more of a backstory to it that Pericles was a politician in Athens that had arisen at the time when Socrates was a young boy and had made all these sweeping changes that really moved Athens much more toward a democracy. They'd always been a government where the people were involved, but it might not necessarily be all the people. So more people at lower levels of society got more power under Pericles. And pretty much there was a right to to free speech, that anybody could stand up in the public assembly and say whatever they wanted to. And so 
Socrates had um, seen the dawn of the golden age of Greece, and Pericles was history's first liberal politician. He'd seen him. And for the first time, the masses, not just the property owners and aristocrats, and aristocrats means um, those who are wise. Okay, we think of aristocrats as haughty toddy or maybe old money or you know, some kind right. of, but it meant those who are wise. So not just the property owners, the wealthy people and the wise people enjoyed liberty, arts, building, people, courts, all of that. Um, all, he had seen all that happen. They, they built new buildings. There was more courts. The rebuilding of the Acropolis happened under Pericles and the construction of the Parthenon happened under Pericles. And so there was this great golden age growth. Um, so Socrates developed a set of beliefs that put him at odds with most of his fellow Athenians. Socrates was not a Democrat or an egalitarian. He was anti-democratic to the sense that to him, people should not be self-governed, that they were like a herd of sheep that needed the direction of a wise shepherd. So if you just leave it up to the sheep to decide what to do, it's not going to work out well that you need to decide who's wise and then let that person lead them. So he criticized the right of every citizen to speak in the Athenian assembly, which you can imagine didn't go over well. Mm. Socrates discussed moral questions in the workshops and the marketplace, and often his unpopular views expressed were expressed with an air of condescension, condescension which provoked people to anger. But in particular, here's what happened. Um, in, there were two Spartan... So, so as the golden age of Greece was coming to an end, the Greek city-states were at times warring with each other. And that was sort of what brought down their downfall. So there were two invasions by Spartan that were uprisings by people within Greece that were backed by Spartans. One was in 441 and the uh, down to, that must not be right, 411 to 410. Another one was 404 to 43. And they were led, these, these uprisings were led by former students of Socrates. So Athenians considered Socrates and his teachings partially responsible for all the pain and suffering during those two periods. Right. So that makes a little bit more sense, right? Um, and they were, there were times during that second uprising where it was, it was called the 30 Tyrants that the Spartans put in charge of running Athens, and they murdered people right and left. They were killing people all over the place. And that while that was all going on, Socrates, as far as we know, did nothing to stop it. So where he had influence over these leaders, he, he didn't use it, and he just ignored it. Um, he contended that he was neutral, but he was seen as a danger and corrupting influence after that. Um, because of amnesty, after that uprising was over, he couldn't be prosecuted for anything before 403. So they couldn't, part of the amnesty, the peace treaty was you can't prosecute anybody for anything that was done before that time. So he must have been prosecuted for actions. His trial was in 399. So he must have been prosecuted for things that happened between 403 and 399. There seemed to be another failed uprising in 401, and he had resumed his teaching and attracting youthful followers, and Athenians may have decided they'd had enough of their own town eccentric and his teachings. He was kind of seen as this eccentric old man, mm -hmm. you know, asking questions. Um, so everybody knew Socrates pretty much, so his trial was a very big deal. And here's what his indictment said. Socrates is guilty of refusing to recognize the gods recognized by the state and of introducing new divinities. 
I don't know what that was about. Mm. He's also guilty of corrupting the youth. The penalty demanded is death. So as it turns out, they don't think they were calling that first part about not recognizing the gods a piety charge, but there was a lot of other people who had done things like that and they weren't on trial. They really think that the real impetus was the political implications and his influence of the of the youth. Um, the trial lasted nine to ten hours and included 500 jurors all over the age of 30. And um, Now, is there any documentation of this? Yes, and that's where this is all coming from. This is coming from another course study on the great trials of history. And, um, would yeah. O, would OJ be one of those? I don't know. I hadn't looked that one up. Would be interesting, wouldn't it? The great trials of history. Yeah. I don't know if OJ's trial shaped history. But oh, it definitely did. Definitely reflect, reflected history. Reflected yeah. Social. And it definitely influenced culture, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, social relationships or whatever. That is interesting. Um, so Socrates, when it came time for him to defend himself, he now, pl- this guy we haven't introduced yet, but Socrates' student was Plato. And a lot of the history of this trial that we have in writing is from Plato. So that's biased. Okay? But then there's also... Other people who later in history wrote things about it, like like would make a comment here or there. <clears throat> so this author or teacher has put together those ideas and and kind of said what happens. But we know this. When Socrates gave a, uh, he gave an unapologetic speech, he insisted that by asking his awkward, awkward questions, he's performed a valuable service and that he has no intention of stopping. So he wasn't apologetic at all. He still felt he believed in what he was doing. He said, so long as he has a breath to draw, he will continue to push people to seek the truth. He says, men of Athens, I honor and love you, but I shall obey God rather than you. And while I have life and strength, I shall never cease from the practice and teaching of philosophy. So if that account is accurate, then the jury knew that the only way to stop Socrates from arguing and teaching his anti-democratic ideas was to kill him. And the vote was 280 to 220 for guilt. And then they would take another vote on what the penalty should be. And they came up with an alternative of maybe him paying a fine, which if he'd really wanted to get out of it, he could have offered mm-hmm. something that they could have taken. But the vote for death was greater than the vote for guilt. 360 voted for death and 140 for the fine. So he refused to uh, participate in an, any escape plan, although one was dreamed up for him. Mm. And he took his hemlock in one big gulp. And the trial of Socrates thus became the most interesting suicide the world has ever seen. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting statement. Had he wanted to, he could have won an acquittal. The closeness of the vote shows that. Less condescending, less confrontational, less arrogant. He could have argued that exercising the right to free, about exercising his right to free speech, but he couldn't bring himself to rely on a principle that he had so often criticized. So, did he think it was kind of a martyr move for him? Like, yeah, like the the issue was greater than life. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of personal choice, he made the Athenians choose between their love of freedom, which was freedom of speech, and their love of community, and they chose community. He became the first great martyr for the cause of free speech. First great martyr for the cause of free speech. I wouldn't have thought of Socrates. So right. I think that's a, an interesting story. But what <clears throat> he's left to us, what 
is the father of philosophy and questioning, which out of that questioning comes the philosophies that follow. So his student was Plato. Plato mm-hmm. lived from three, 429 to 347 B.C. He was a wide-ranging thinker, and he traveled a lot, and he founded his academy, Plato's Academy, in Athens in 385. We just take that word for academy for granted, but the first time a school was named that was when Plato's school was named an academy. So, I was really big into Plato when I was a kid. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, talk to me about that, Frank. What was that like? Well, I didn't like mixing up the different colors. And so when you'd get the things that you could mix them, I tried to keep them separate, but I like it when you'd push the thing down and they would come out like in noodles, almost yeah. like a pasta maker. So so that's really cool because Plato is all about forms. Definitely. I could make forms with it. Yeah. Got in trouble a few times with some of the forms I made. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I was really big into Plato. That is so good to know. Um, Can I go more with this? Or, if you want you're to. Give me a little freedom there. I was giving you some freedom. We were talking about Plato. I, th- I thought that was a good form move on my part because we're fixing yeah. to talk about forms. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. So is. he went off to study rather than do public life because he was so upset about the execution of his master Socrates. But there again, don't know if you caught it, academy, that word comes from Plato naming his school an academy. And now we just use the word academics all the time, and we know what that means. Goes back to Plato. Yeah, he just made it up. Well, it was the root of a Greek word, but the fact that he named a school an academy, yeah, that was the first time. So, um, Greeks built into the Western tradition an internal critique through their elaboration about thinking about thinking. Hmm. They were thinking about thinking. The Western, now this is interesting, the Western tradition is virtually unique in providing positive doctrine in a large, oh, there's way too many big words. Yeah, and even just watching you say them. I know. It's virtually unique in analyzing, questioning, and exploring something that, so like you come up with an idea and then you Mm. analyze, question, and explore it. That is unique. It's a remarkable achievement to create doctrine and then to test it with the possibility of proving it wrong. Right. Okay, so that's the thinking about thinking. We think about something and come up, well, I think it's this way, and then we test it and with the possibility of proving it wrong. Okay, so that's a that's a unique thing. So Plato poses two big questions. What is the nature of knowledge and what how do we obtain it? And then what is morality and the best form of human life? How should we live? So um Have you ever heard about Plato's allegory of the cave? I don't think so. I'm not going to get it exactly right, but this is the like if you're taking an intro philosophy course or if you're not diving deep and you just, I was talking about Plato in the cave, okay? Because what the imagination, let's see if I can retell it right. There's some folks who are chained into a position that they can't move from and they can only face one direction. And in front of them is a, uh, like a, a wall. Okay, like a brick wall, a slate wall, a solid wall. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of down low. Okay, so imagine that up behind them, like above their heads, is a walkway. And like on, a, say, a city street. And there's people walking and things going on. And there's light up there. Where they are, it's dark. 
So the light up there is casting a shadow of what's happening above and behind them mm-hmm. on this wall in front of them. Right. But all they can see is the wall in front of them, and they think that's reality. Reality is what they're seeing, but reality <clears throat> really exists somewhere else. That was Plato's thinking. I that see. everything that we experience is a reflection of, of that, is an imperfection of that thing that exists perfectly somewhere else. Wow. So this author gave the example of a chair. Like if I say chair, you think of a chair. So maybe you think of the chair you sit in at your desk, or maybe you think of the chair that you sit in at a table, or maybe it's the chair in your living. They're all called chairs, but they're not alike. So there's this idea of chairness that we all have yeah. that we know is a chair. Okay, mm-hmm. that's the form. That's the form. Yeah. So Plato's forms are that there is this ness that exists that is the real thing in another in an in an eternal sphere. And what we're experiencing are but shadows of that. The world around us is a copy to the original. And that so much so that if we saw the true thing we wouldn't real we wouldn't recognize it, just like these people chained and looking at the wall. So when Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Paul the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, now we see darkly, then we shall see face to face. That right there is an example. That language, Paul using that language to describe something is straight up Plato. Wow. So that's an influence of the Greek thinking Mm -hmm. in the world. And we're going to talk about how we get from 400, 300, well, now we're in the 300s, the 300 B.C.'s to Paul with that influence of thinking, because you think about it, they're not in the same place in the world. Um, yeah. So that so Plato's this idea of forms. Um, so he salvaged reality, and he salvaged our ability to communicate. And when I say salvage, the previous philosophers were trying to get rid of that. The guys before for Socrates is like, there's, there's not this idea of we can't know and we can't communicate. It's just survival of the fittest. But he salvaged that, but the price was that he had to move it, move that reality to an a- abstract world, that reality exists somewhere else. Um, he speaks of an immortal soul, which is eternal and has knowledge of the eternal. That's what Plato was Yeah, and, he's, and the knowledge of the transcendent world, and somehow that immortal soul communicates that hint spark of knowledge to each person. Now, this, hmm. does that sound a little bit familiar? Yeah, yeah. So where is that? Yeah. So it's sounding like a spirit, sounding like you know a connection to a higher power. Right. So that kind of language is not strange to us today, but that was coming from Plato as an origination. <clears throat> wow. Okay. The fir- first time we see that written down. So then Plato had a student whose name was Aristotle. Ever heard of that guy? Mm-hmm. Changed a lot. And we, I mean, he comes up over and over and over again throughout history, very much so. So his student was Aristotle, and in 335 B.C., he founded his own school called the Lyceum. Um, and Aristotle's marked by his inspired common sense. He based his ideas on close observation and study, not on pure thought. Where Socrates and Plato are asking questions and thinking Aristotle turns to the natural world around him and asks questions and observes. So work he did works in zoology and works in biology. He returns in a way to the world that's 
here around us. What we do is study closely. We study closely and observe the things around us. Reality exists in the specific and the observable, but it requires close observation. So really, um, my, you know, I rely on my husband's scientist for backup information. So I was talking to him about Aristotle yesterday, mm-hmm. knowing that I would be talking about Aristotle today. Um, he uh, was Aristotle brought to us the idea of observation where he didn't bring the idea of experiment. That comes a little bit later. But if you think about the scientific method, it has to do with uh, hypothesis, observation, experiment. Mm-hmm. So he brought that idea of observation and really kind of moved that philosophy into what we call science, beginnings of science, okay? Um, He had a love of order, and he created various branches of knowledge to talk about the theoretical, the practical, and the productive. He wrote on lots of specific disciplines. The communication of what is knowable depends on careful and critical description. So yeah, so he's talking about describing in, in order to be able to communicate. Um, he developed 10 categories, which are elements for the communication of anything that exists. Really? Yeah. He had mania for describing things precisely. He thinks about cost- causation um, and comes up with that there are four causes at work in nature, material, formal, efficient, and final. He lays out a series of explanations for what look to others like change and motion. So where you might think something is changing, he laid out explanations of, of how it's just um, moving or being different. I don't know enough about it to say, but you get the idea that Aristotle is looking around him and observing. So this is cool. Raphael, who's a painter from much later, uh, I think, don't quote me on that. I think he's during the Renaissance. I know he is. I, he would have to be for this. He, he had a painting called The School at Athens. Mm-hmm. And Plato and Aristotle are in that painting along with others. And he, <clears throat> he points, he paints Plato as pointing up. Now, we can understand from what I just said why he would do that, right? Right. And Aristotle is pointing out or down. So Plato saying reality is up. Aristotle saying his reality is here in our midst. And it's these two paths along which that path of looking up for knowledge and looking around for knowledge, those two paths that we have pers- the pursuit of knowledge has proceeded for two and a half thousand years. What are what are Aristotle's years? Oh, don't have it written down. Three thirty five BC was when he founded his school, so we would have to Google that or search it or whatever. Are you doing it? You want me to do it? No, that's fine. Okay. Um, it's during the second, whatever you would call that, the third century BC, whatever, in the three hundreds. What's interesting? We're talking about. <clears throat> the philosophers thinking about thinking. I'm kind of inspired because what I've been doing a lot is thinking about doing. I just spend a lot of time thinking instead of doing. <laughs> and I think it's a revolutionary. I'm trying to be funny. You're yeah. looking at me like I'm trying to it's catch not on. funny and you're wasting our time. No. <laughs> it's okay. Sorry, don't mean to be looking at <clears throat> What do we call that? that? Let's call that something, thinking about doing. Procrastination. Mean, that is the good thing to call it. 
Yeah, we'll have to investigate the, the god roots of, of what was his name. Oh, come up with a good one. I can't right now. Oh man. Um. So if you think about Aristotle and you think about Plato, they are imagining ideal being Plato and practical being Aristotle solutions to the political question. So now we're going back to the politics. So Aristotle thought that a about how a state should actually be organized, that one, a state should be governed by a few, which is an oligarchy. That word means, oligarchy means few. Not Aristotle was not clear on how many, but it just shouldn't be a lot. Mm-hmm. And that the best citizens should rule the aristocracy. And aristocracy means best. Not clear on how we get the best, mm-hmm. but it should be the best. Plato's ideal state was a state where kings would be philosophers and philosophers would be kings. Interesting. That is a cool thing, too. And those best in mind should be entrusted with rule, which, once again, is the wise. The ones who are best in mind should be trusted with rules. Not clear on how we choose who those are. But the point is that both of them arrive at the idea that a rule by a few is the best way to rule. Yes. Which is not really what's happening in this society in in Greece. Right. Okay? Um. Instability inside the individual city-states and the squabbles between them um, turn into shifting coalitions rather than fiercely independent states. So as we come to the end of that Greek city-state period, which would uh, be in that 300 B.C. time, there's instability going on. And so the Golden Age was during the 5th century. And then as we go into the 300s, they're um, not as strong as they were. So where's the strength coming from? Well, while the Greeks were squabbling and among themselves, the storm clouds were gathering in the north, north of Greece. I didn't know it was Christmas. It is. I love that little song. And when she hears this podcast, she's going to go, oh, I called mom right then. Yep, she did. Why don't you turn your ringer off? I thought I had. I really, I guess I unturned it. She's going, what? What's to the north of Greece? Can you see Mr. Uh, Producer Wes? The north of Greece. It might not even be there anymore, so I shouldn't ask. But, yeah, it's not going to be the same place. Yeah, not going to be the same place. At that time, it was Macedonia. Macedonia's there? There we go. Okay, so to the north, storm clouds were gathering because of Philip of Macedonia whose years were 382 to 336. All right. So let me go real quick through Philip because it's his offspring that makes the difference. Any guess who Philip's offspring are? Caesar. Nope. Philip attacked and won. It was a good guess, though. <laughs> no, it wasn't really because that's, that's Italy and that's Rome and that's not okay. Macedonia. But Okay. So Philip, so they're squabbling, carrying on. Philip's building up forces in Macedon. He's the king there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he comes and attacks and wins a victory over the Greek forces. But he has great respect for the Greeks. Um, one of the ways he demonstrated that was he left the public building standing rather than just destroying everything. Okay. So he now created a league that included the Greeks with himself at the head. Um, everybody- Justice League? Sounds good. Um, Macedonian League, but... Nope, it's never going to be marketable. No, everybody had a vote, but he had a veto, and they didn't. So you could come up with ideas and everybody could vote, but if he didn't like it, it didn't happen. He wanted to provide peace and order without being bothered by those guys. 
because his real goal is to make war on who? Who's the superpower? Who have we been talking about is the greatest empire to this point? The Persians. The Persians. And see, they're still existing through all this. All this is happening over here in Greece. And we talked about how the Persians tried to invade Greece and the Greeks against all odds, which is very interesting. There's no reason they should have won that battle. Mm-hmm. But they did, and it's kind of cool to go back and read about the unique things that happened that allowed them to win it. And so it created the space for this golden age of Greece where we get all this philosophy and science and the birth of all this wisdom and knowledge that has affected us for two and a half thousand years. That's a lot. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but Persia's still over there. And so Philip wants to take Persia. And that's what, so he's he's conquered the Greeks just trying to get along with them to move on to his real goal, which is taking Persia. But in some episode of palace intrigue that we don't know details about, I heard somebody say he was at a wedding. He gets murdered. Philip is dead. So his son, who is 20 years old at the time, steps up to take over his father's dream of attacking Persia, and his name is Alexander. Alexander. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alexander the Great. So now we're getting to the fun part. Woohoo! Alexander the Great. Yeah, and we're going to talk about why he's so great. Is he great? He is great. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think this has been... Oh, it's been good. Do we go back to this? We still have the, the mystery bag. We have the mystery bag. I don't know. I mean, questions. Um... Is it something that will go bad after no, time? No. Nope. Mm-mm. It's good forever. Yeah. Is it... Um, forever and ever and ever. Mm. Really long time. And you're look, she's looking at me as if I'm, that's I'm supposed sitting to give here me trying a clue. Think, no, I'm sitting here trying to think how oh, to give a clue that... Yeah, because it, 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 it relates to a Greek city-state. And I didn't even know that when I... Took it out of my purse and set on the table. I didn't it even think about it. relates to a Greek city-state. It does. Athens? Mm-mm. Not one that we talked about. Does it relate? But one that we know. Well, you wouldn't. When you hear its name, you'll recognize it, but we haven't talked about it. It relates to that. Yeah. It, it, okay, the yes or no questions, we might... It kind of comes from there. Yeah. It comes from that part of the world, what's in that bag. And it's not something that you eat. Mm-mm. And it just happened to be in your purse. <laughs> yeah. And it comes from like, that part of the world. I think we've already said I purchased it. And I think we said this week because it ended up my purse. And I purchased it and they put it in that bag and I put it in my purse. And I've forgotten to take it out. I didn't know that you purchased it. We didn't cover that. So that's some more, more information. Oh, I thought you said, I thought you asked me that question if I um, bought it. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm at a loss. What are you we want, doing? You want to hold it? Throw it. Are you going to catch I'm it? I'm going to catch it. Oh, for the listeners. Well, it seems square. Is it a battery? No. Is it? It's small. This is strange to me. Like when we figure out what it is, it's going to be, oh, that was easy. Is it one of those? No, I don't think so. It's kind of different. 
Okay, so it is square. It's it's uh, for the listeners. It is about this. It's about a, it's a square like a one and a half inches. It feels hard like a brick, like a stone, but it's square. Yeah. Is it's it a stone? It's stone. Mm-hmm. It is a stone. It's stone, and it's from Ephesus. It's mined from the stones in Ephesus. And where did you buy this? Can I open it now? Yeah, I bought it at a um, gift shop. Well, it was, it's a great little place. Shout out to Chef's Market in Goodlesville. They have a market. They have food. I was eating lunch there. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's got a, it's got a scripture on it. Yes. And I don't have my glasses on, but I think it says Ephesians 3.20. Yeah. God is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. I like that. The NASB says exceedingly abundantly above all that we think or imagine. Wow. So I think it's pretty cool. So that being one, it's it's a verse that means something to me, my family, my kids. Mm-hmm. And I was eating lunch there and they have cute little gift things that, you know, while you're checking out and checking in, there's all this yeah. boutique kind of shopping. And those were stoned. That's, that was really the thing is because the this stone was what do you call that mined or carved or taken from the hills around Ephesus with that verse from Ephesians in it wow and I didn't I was just thinking what have I got that I can put on the table didn't even think that it would at all relate to what we were talking about well I like it it's pretty I'm cool. excited about it yeah so would you want it yeah, I want because it. that was a question like I'm not giving it away but hey oh okay I, I thought that was a gift no yeah. but my question is would you want it Wes See, that was kind of the thought I thought. That was the way expression. That's it's kind of like take it or leave it. So that was my thing about maybe. (laughs) I was gonna say no straight up, and then I remembered how you liked a little saying hanging in the bathroom. I was like, well, he might like the saying. You never can tell. All right. Well. Yeah. So thanks for hanging with us on the philosophers. I hope you know. Go quiz your friends about Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. So we covered. Oh. Aristotle, Socrates, and Plato. And here's a little teaser that I just want to say that kind of connects. So we went from Philip to Alexander, mm-hmm. and we might feel like that we're moving on. But guess who Alexander... Philip hired someone to be Alexander's tutor. Rasputin. Aristotle. <laughs> Rasputin. Aristotle. So it's connected. So we're going to talk about that, too. It's really cool. We're. All I'm right. very excited. All right. Well, we'll see you all next time. Have a good day evening morning night workout workout rest wake coffee thanks for listening thanks for listening to history through the eyes of faith podcast brought to you by one thing only find us online at onethingonly.org click on history through the eyes of faith podcast for more information reference material our social media links as well as a way to contact us to leave questions or comments We will soon be streaming on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review. Thanks again for listening to History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast.